good day. Sounds like I think you are too, right? I'm having a great day. Yeah. It's been a good weekend. It's been a good day. Yep. Got to spend a lot of time with friends. Yep. We got to shoot a lot of bullets. Yep. Hit a lot of targets. Roger that. So it's been a great day. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you guys haven't heard, my boy Francis Clone won the 2022 Collis K&M PRC. Congratulations, buddy. Thanks, dude. <laughs> Seriously, I know we've said it a lot now, but... I mean, it still hasn't quite set in. Um, you know, this is the biggest match of the season in terms of the number of shooters. The course of fire was very well thought out. You know, there's some, some bigger targets for, you know, newer shooters, but there are a lot of challenging targets that are extremely easy to miss with even the slightest mental error, positional error, NPA error, wrong wind read, like you name it. There's, there's a thousand ways to miss a shot. But the props are really solid. It gives you a very fair test of your abilities throughout the entire weekend. And man, we you know we had the other we recorded the episode about just before we came here. We put that out on what, Thursday. Yeah, we went we visited Sam. And uh, yeah, shout out to Sam Gerber. He's probably pumped. I know he got to see <laughs> us, and we were pumped to see him. It was super cool to hang out with him that weekend uh, or that day for about an hour. But uh, man, we had a blast this weekend. Just. I don't know. I can't say enough good things about it. Between getting to bed early, trying to sleep, had great food. I don't know that any of that was good. I, I <laughs> loved it. I was We were toes up by think, 8 o'clock. I think last night was 8 o'clock, yeah. Oh, we, man. Like, we yeah, had a little snafu. Awesome. Like, you, wanted, you were, like, dead set on watching the other guys. Actually, you <laughs> were dead set. Such a... You we're were watching it tonight. You can tell the story because I'm still pissed off about it. Yeah, you were dead set on me watching the other guys because I'd said I'd never seen it before. And I'm pretty sure I haven't. Um, I'm 95% sure I have not seen the other guys. And so we went to Wally World and bought some Google Play connector and plugged it into the hotel TV. And lo and behold, I guess there's some type of... Um, like, I don't know, it's, there's something with the network and, and stuff like that at hotels where those devices are discouraged and they're really hard to make them work. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know why. Maybe it's just so we don't, like, steal up all their bandwidth or whatever. Um, but, yeah, that was a, that was an epic fail, and uh, it didn't really matter. It was, like, 25 bucks. It, it didn't matter, but uh, that's besides the point. So th- the weekend started with us going down to K&M. We drove down Thursday night. We tried to make it all the way there, but we ended up crashing in some flea bag motel in it Nashville. Was so bad. Yeah, it was way bad. Yeah. Um, Greg already texted me and said, you know, call him on the way back. So I didn't tell you that, but um, oh. so I'm going to do that. And All then right. <laughs> um, I know what that means. That means a better hotel. Yeah. Well, maybe slightly. <laughs> yeah. And so then we, we got down there to Nashville area about 1130 PM. And then we got up pretty early cause we wanted to get there as soon as the range opened, I think 10 or sorry, eight o'clock on Friday. <laughs> What's so funny? <laughs> cause so we we go we get there at eleven thirty. We've had a time change, so it's really twelve thirty, at our time. Yeah. And then we set our clocks, and we're going to get up at like I don't know five thirty or five forty five. We were going to get up at six thirty, so that we had time to hit the Waffle House. Yeah. For a half hour, and then we were going to head to K and right. get there by eight o'clock. Except Chad's phone didn't sync to the right time, so his alarm goes off, and it's like, oh, it's time to go. It was it actually was an hour early. It was like five five thirty something like yeah. that in the morning, which. I mean, we only got, like, it felt like four hours of sleep. It was, fr- like, first it was super, super hot in the room. 
Then it got cold, or maybe it was the other way around. I forget which. But there was a dude smoking a massive J right outside of our room. And I mean, when I say outside of our room, I mean, we, we were probably smoking as much as he was. We could smell it inside oh, of our room. Yeah, it, it, was, was, it was brutal. Yeah. And, I mean, it was a not a good part of town, obviously. No. So we're just carrying stuff in, and I'm thinking, this is bad. So I'm like, keep one in the chamber, dude. We carried everything in. Yeah, it's yeah. a hot hotel room now, you know. Yeah. Yep, so then we went to the train-up day, and my goal personally, um, I know you had lots of plans, uh, my goal personally was be, to be done shooting by noon, because, man, I've I've shot there on train-up day, and I've shot till 3, 4 o'clock, or whenever they shut us down, and it feels, it almost feels like a three-day match, by the time you put in a full day on Friday, and then you got a Saturday, Sunday, you already start the match a little bit, wore, bit wore out, yeah, yeah. so... My goal was to shoot for two, max three hours, and then head back and chill. And that pretty much worked out. I think you were done by 12.30, 1 o'clock, too. So, yeah, I think um, it was 1 o'clock, yeah. Yeah, so that that worked out as planned. Um, we had a bunch of people coming up to us saying that they really appreciate the podcast and, and it's helped them work on different training and tips and stuff like that. So that was, that was super awesome. Um, and, you know... I don't know. That kind of that kind of gets me excited to come back and, and put out another one. And everybody's like, "Well, after the match, they're like, well, now we're we're excited to hear the podcast on the way home, right?'" Oh <laughs> I'm yeah, sure. A bunch of people were asking for that. So we usually put out the podcasts on Wednesday at noon. Uh, we tried a little new thing last Thursday where we um, recorded on the road and tried to post it on the road. And so we were maybe like four o'clock or something on Thursday when we finally posted it. Um, so we're going to try to wrap this one up, you know, when we're, whenever we're done talking and wherever we get to tonight, we're going to post it tonight so everybody can hear it and, and uh, you know, it doesn't get too stale. But we have a pretty cool one coming up next week. Um, we're both into custom knives, and we had a, a, a knife maker that we're both fans of. Uh, we inter- interviewed him on the way down, so we're going to post, post on that next week. So um, so anyway, that's a little bit of foreshadowing. Yep. Um so, I guess Saturday morning, um, safety brief was at 7 a.m., which is like, you know, not too much after sunrise. So, and we, our hotel was about an hour away from the range, right? Uh, yeah, give or take an hour. Yeah, about yeah. an hour. Yeah, so mm-hmm. we got there pretty early. Got up pretty early. Got there pretty early. Um, and I don't know. I guess we started on stage seven. You can kind of give your thoughts on, you know, the first stage or what, what kind of was what you were thinking leading up to the first stage of one of the bigger matches of the year, knowing that we've both shot really well there before. I was I was pretty anxious. How were you feeling? Um, I, I felt pretty comfortable, but ironically, as we were wrapping up on Friday, as I was walking, I took photos of all the props on the first half of the range just so I could review them and just look, okay, this tire. So once I get the matchbook, I could kind of pair up different props with the stages we were going to shoot and just mentally rehearse them a little bit in my brain. Well... Lo and behold, like you spent, we both spent a lot of time on the tires, but I spent the majority of my time on the far left tire, the flat ones. I didn't even go to the middle tire that we shot off of. Had I done that, I would have potentially saved myself. Actually, I'm certain I would have had more confidence over that there were two stages that I dropped three points all weekend, uh, three points uh, on each stage. There, i.e., catastrophes in terms of K and M and pro shooting. 
Uh, one of them was the center tire, and one of them was a cattle gate. Well, we started on the cattle gate. I never touched the cattle gate, never touched the barrels that we didn't were start, to it. That was our second stage. That was our second stage. The rocks, the f- I had a lot of, yeah. The first, the first the stage, I was watching you. You were the first shooter because oh, yeah, of that's alphabetical, right? right? Yeah. And clean paint. And this dude sitting next to me prints, like, I don't know, two-inch group at, what was it, 500 yards? Yeah. Two-inch group at 500 yards on three different targets. He's not using anything more than a two inch, two inches of the plate <laughs> for twelve rounds. I'm like, oh, it's on. <laughs> yeah. Your dad is lining yeah. up. Your rifle's shooting. Um, so I could tell that 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 gives you so much confidence, knowing that your elevation's good and, and everything's running right. So, it really does. Yeah. yeah, and it's not even just the confidence of oh, I printed a small group. It was dead center. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then between that, when it's your first stage and you're on clean, like this is the, I was telling Chad, you know, there's, dude, there's like this double-edged sword that comes with shooting clean paint. Because either A, it's a really tight group in the middle, or B, it's a really wide group, and you're like, oh, what the hell? Like, something's wrong. Or, Or C, it's off on one left, like left side, right side, or it's always changing. Honestly, I don't know which one's like more nerve wracking a painted plate or just hit the damn target like uh, a painted plate's awesome i don't get me wrong i remember vibbert like when we can't day two at the uh, wisconsin batch last year we got up and we're like all right who wants to go first and there was a little bit of hesitation oh, he and was like i'm in I'm, no i'm going first no i'm going first he was fighting. and yeah so he got clean paint on that one so uh, one yeah. one thing before we move off this topic I, I thought that was awesome that you printed all those shots on top of each other and honestly i was super excited um, and that you, I was excited that you left us some paint on the targets, <laughs> number one, but I was excited for your group size. Um, and then there was another stage, and it was this morning, first stage, and um, I guess the targets got painted oh, overnight, yeah. which is cool. Um, but I yeah, went up, and I was the second or third or whatever, um, and I cleaned the stage. So and then, to describe the stage, it's animals off of blocks, these huge concrete blocks they look like giant legos yeah like ones they'd use for construction and the median when they're doing temporary um construction type stuff they'll yep. drop these things in with a crane yep they're like two feet deep yeah. so they're not the skinny kind like you'd see on the edge of like a bridge they're like two legos. three times that yeah they're yeah. giant legos like retaining wall bricks yeah they're setting you know the long ways like i should say the long way the short ways you have two feet front to back approximately uh maybe a little less and you're shooting off of them we're shooting animals Effectively, like five, five fifty, six, six fifty, and seven. I think it went out to eight hundred, but yeah, 800, somewhere, yeah, somewhere in that like range. That. Yeah, five hundred to eight hundred yards. It was a coyote, coyote, pig, pig, bobcat. Correct. Okay. And yeah. they were pretty skinny. So a bunch of people were shooting these these targets pretty centered up because there wasn't a lot of wind, uh, myself included. And when, when you hit the center, they weren't really moving much, and the paint was already gone in those areas after three, four shooters. Um, so I watched Francis go up there and shoot, and I'm like, man, he was, like, way to the right, like, right in the neck of this coyote. And then I know he saw it. <laughs> and so the next next target, like, same spot. And then the next target was in the ass. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I know what he's doing now. He's, like, shooting clean paint to get his elevation and windage. And so I thought that was a super smart move because animals can be deceiving they're really wide but then the weird body shapes like you can get overly confident and not pick a really fine aiming point and you can miss targets high or low because yeah you're not really you're not you're just kind of willing your bullet into the (laughs) the a zone of the target which it's it's not it's not a good idea in my yeah and i mean a good example and granted we don't have a photo to show you but target two on this was this coyote that was 
I mean, maybe. It was a scrawny fox. Two, yeah, scrawny fox is a way better description. Or an anemic coyote who hadn't eaten any rabbits in the last yeah. six months. May, and I'm saying maybe two-tenths. I'm being real generous when I say two-tenths in the middle of the body from the top of the back to the stomach between its legs. However, in the, let's call it, in the keister, out by the tail, it had a little bit of a, a sag where it called, call it the rear leg, where they kind of joined downward. So you gained, if you look at the surface area, there's more surface area towards the rear. And I took a, you know, kind of a swinging wild-ass guess that, you know, I'm hedging my bet. The wind's coming from the left, if anything, slightly to the left. It's going to blow to the right. If I'm aiming at that, well, A, there's clean paint. B, there's some room there. I'm going to put my, what I think is a straight-up wind call, more or less, plus a tenth, uh, tenth left into the wind, that I should hit somewhere in this tea kettle, and it gives me a little bit more latitude on elevation because, candidly, to the, to the right, if you were in that little belly section or the middle of the target that most people would aim at to try to give them the most width, Right, wind budget, basically? Yeah, wind budget, yeah. If, assuming there's no wind, you're like, oh, I don't want to go off the left, I don't want to go off the right, I'm not really sure, you'd aim in the middle. Except the middle, you to say you'd have to have perfect elevation is the understatement of the match. It was the skinniest target we shot all weekend. I'm like, there's no vertically, point in me shooting vertically. Out, yeah, vertically. There's no, there's no purpose to shooting out in that area when I gain some of the elevation and about the same amount of windage I'd expect that range anyway. So on all the targets, I was shooting the areas that had the largest surface area, you know, even though it was potentially risky because there were some areas where, yeah, you have less wind wind leeway. Once I got a wind call on the first target, which just so happened to have, you know, its butt off to the left so I could shoot it and let it drift in, I realized, okay, yeah, it's a tenth or 1.15. after that, I know it's not going to get a whole lot more, but I can at least now have a bracket to go. It's not going to be more than a tenth to three tenths. So let's start using that to my advantage. And I just started walking around the plates. I mean, I like how you use your hands on the podcast. I can't you're help vi- it. You're very yeah, animated. <laughs> Visually, I'm envisioning it and moving around. I'm yeah. still doing it. And guys, I don't even need guys to. just imagine his hands like spreading across the whole front seat of the car right now. <laughs> we need GoPros. We do. So yeah, so yeah Miles I, I, matches live. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was awesome, um, and I'm I'm pretty sure you were doing that on purpose. Sounds uh, like I you was were. doing that on purpose, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. yeah, so that was that was really cool. But those are just two examples of you know using clean paint to your advantage. Yeah. Um, most match directors, I'm pretty sure, uh, won't paint on the second day. But Shannon's very nice, dude. He's very nice to us. Yep. So you get two opportunities yep. to. To be your, your, have your own uh, worst day. So he gives you the best opportunity to at least not have that by giving you a little bit of paint for a stage or two. Yep. Um, so after the cattle gate, um, we had a couple of stages, three stages in a row oh, that were movers. Winner, and, winner, and, chicken dinner. And usually, and you won't, hopefully you won't be mad about no, me saying this. No, I'm not going to be mad because I've already told you this. Usually you lose matches on movers. I have. <laughs> now I'm waving my arms Historically... If this was like a cryptocurrency market and it's like analysts were looking at it going, oh, you know, confidence is low, we're going to sell, <laughs> sell you sell, would have sell. had a Jim Cramer just going, sell, sell, sell. And the fact like, that there was three mover, ma- mover stages crap. in this match, I was so three. nervous for yeah, you. Yeah, we had two. <laughs> Normally, we never have three. Yeah. Well, not never, but close. Now we definitely have three and have the opportunity to for four if we use the 100-yard mover. Yeah, and there's a brand new mover at k this time, and I don't know how long it's been there, but... 
Um, if you have been to K&M, it's after you finish the main range and you go up the hill to that tower, now there is a mover to the left where you would normally do that troop line stage. And it's at 579 yards. And um, the stage that he put there, uh, normally, if you guys have shot K&M, you know that that's usually a 75-second stage because it's kind of like it saves time after people are, you know, walking or getting a shuttle up to that that stage it kind of saves the match flow a little bit and, and yep. condenses it a little bit um so the the stage you can describe it to us and then we'll just talk through yeah, how, so what our plans were you're up on this platform it's about 30 25 30 feet in the air you cannot see any of the targets or target arrays from the ground as you walk up so you get all your gear you go up top and you look out over the hill and you see a mover going left to right through about 50 percent of the alley that you can see and then you have Starting on the left side of the mover, there's an, a 66% IPSC. This is at 575, 580 is the mover. The first IPSC is at 600 yep. approximately. And it goes out about every 75 yards from there, if I remember right. Basically all the way back to 8-something. So it's that like sounds right. approximately five, 600 yards to 800 yards. And you have five IPSCs in a troop line, 66 percenters, going kind of from the left edge of the mover back 45 degrees away from you. So they're just kind of stacked. But you have a mover going left to right at 575, approximately. And right to left once it turns right around. right to left, left to left. <laughs> it, <is a, laughs> it was a two-way mover. I don't know if I used both directions, but yeah. Um, yeah, you had to. It was you like did, a 15 yeah. 15-second uh, yeah. transition. But So we were going into that. We had had a lot of discussion on it when reading through the matchbook. Like, okay, it's 75 seconds. There's five shots on a mover and five shots on Ipsix, and they're not you know directly in your field of view. You'd have to pan pretty hard. To, if the mover's on the far right and you're shooting the target on the far left, it's not an insignificant pan. Yeah, unless you're on, like, 10 power or something, you might yeah, be able then you to can see, see them all. Them. I was down at 6 power and could just get both of them in view <laughs> when I was watching. I was trying to watch after I had shot to see to see you shoot, and I, I couldn't keep all of them in view at 6 power, at least not see anything either. So that said, we had an, an idea of what to do. Like, hey, do you dial? Do you hold? Um, you dial the mover and then hold over the other. We both went at it a little differently. Um, we both ended up successful on it, but it was it was successful meaning clean. We both cleaned it. Yeah, yeah. it was. Our, I think it was one of my favorite stages of the. It match. was so much fun. I think it was one of the coolest stages. Yeah, looking at it on paper, I was super stressed out. I kept thinking to myself in the hotel room before I saw it. I was like, "This is going to be a separator stage." Wait, you were stressed. This is coming. I'm the guy who's like never cleaned any of the movers. Like, I, no. so I was freaking out. I wasn't stressed about the mover portion. <laughs> I just thought it's a lot of movement, moving parts for it 75 was. seconds. And you ended up cleaning it with the, one of the faster times. I, I'm. I don't know if anybody was faster than you, but oh, they, they were. were they somebody were, was. Yeah, you were fastest at the time. I think it was 51 seconds out of 75. Right. I think it was 40 something. But okay. either way, no, yeah, it was 50 seconds. I don't know. I had a lot of time left. 51 was in my mind. Um, and then I remember looking at my timer while I was um, about to engage the last target. I had 15 seconds to engage the last target. So I really slowed down and shot my last shot. Probably had 10 seconds left. Um, so the time really wasn't a factor for that stage for me. And I dialed every shot. Did, did you dial or hold? I did not. I held. Okay. I, I, had, I looked at it. And while the, the dials weren't huge, I didn't want the complication. because and this is where you and I... You know, differ a little bit. I know you will literally dial virtually anything. I haven't seen you hold in a long time. It's Unless very rare. the course of fire requires that I hold, I dial. Yeah, and that's something that I've struggled to do because I don't like it. And I recently started using the paint sharpies on the 
turret and you know so you have a reference mark so you're not just spinning in space and potentially in the wrong on the on the wrong hold or on the wrong dial um i've honestly grown it's grown on me i'll give props to morgan king for coming up with that one he may have seen it somewhere before but he's the one that kind of passed it over to chad who passed it over to me and it's been a pretty cool process to learn um the downside for me is just i'm not accustomed to that perfectly yet you know it's it's 80 percent 75 80 percent natural but i have to stop and actually think "Ooh, crap dial like versus if i think i'm gonna hold it's like second nature there's my target and i've worked through enough routine that as i'm panning to a target i know approximately what the next hold is and as i'm i see it come into view as it's almost on target i'll glance at my card find the exact hold and then i finally this all takes like half a second uh pan glance got it hold over send it and it's it's really fast and i've worked on that enough that dialing seems kind of unnatural to me and a good example of that was sort of towards the end of the day two the very last stage we shot was a similar five position stage with two distances and you had to just go back and forth between two different dials i had like i think eight seven eight seconds left chad had i think 12 like 10 12 15 he shot significantly faster than I did because he was dialing, and I was dialing as well. I just kept like almost forgetting to do it. It felt a little slow and just felt awkward. So that said, my strategy did work out. I held, I watched every impact, uh, and it worked out really, really well. So I, there wasn't a lot of you know nuance to it other than a 600-yard mover is not something I've shot. It just means you have to be way more significantly precise on your mm-hmm. trigger bra- your brakes. I watched a lot of people who had cleaned all the other movers or come real close not get four, three, four, five impacts on that target hmm. Be- because the time of flight is pretty significant. So if you're off, you don't have a lot of margin for error. Yeah, it was like a 1.9 to center for, for me. Yeah, on 1.94 one. for me. Yep. So it was pretty close. Yeah, so what other stages do you think either were ones that you should have done better on or ones that you you really feel strongly that a clean or a high score on that helped you? I don't want to really go through every stage, yeah, but no, I don't there's got to I mean, be a couple that stand out I for you. There's two, there's two for me that seem, I guess, worthwhile. Like, I did well, and I think it was either above average or at least it didn't cost me to the field. Well, one that I can think of for sure. Now, was the black pipes with the heads. That, to me, was the stage. Of getting It was the second-to-last stage that we shot. It was very difficult, only in the sense that the prop, the black corrugated pipes you use for drainage, those have a tendency to be extraordinarily slippery. Uh, the bag, instead, it may stay there. I watched a couple of bags almost fall off. I watched rifles and bags kind of falling backwards and off. Um, so I was nervous because the other problem that they create is not just falling off, but simply twisting under recoil. They tend to not go straight back. Like they'll, mm-hmm. If you apply pressure at the rear of the rifle, the rifle wants to torque and twist left and right, and it can do so like it's almost frictionless. And that is a bear to control. Mm-hmm. And so I was really nervous about that because these targets, her, the first two specifically, were arguably the one of them was the smallest and half hidden. The other one was the smallest and not hidden, except it's on the worst position. So I had the option of either going... Let's call it up top, where you just have a bag, you're half standing, and shooting the first two, or going down low to shoot the first two, which was super awkward because it was so freaking low. Yeah, so these were like 12-inch <laughs> diameter 
black yeah. corrugated pipes. That's just a best guess. And so the lowest yeah. position was very uncomfortably low. That we we saw somebody go in our squad go prone, and it was like the most uncomfortable high prone I've ever seen. I mean, I, yep. I needed a chiropractor just watching it. And then you know you try to get low without going modified or without going prone, and it was also it was just you're going to get cramped up into that position. So it was like right at that super low awkward position yeah if craig arnson was here he would have been he would i don't see the problem yeah he'd just fold uh, up and shoot it (laughs) yeah um no it was so that was a dilemma and to me i saw this as make it or break it because up to that point i was down second to last stage yeah i was down six points through that and i'm like you know i know that if i drop any more points like i'm getting further and further away from you know a potential win with every point you drop because you just know that's how tight it is that felt like a do or die stage and it ended up being exactly that i mean if i had dropped one or two um one i likely you, would have been okay two yeah. nope not no good one you would have been okay because then you would have tied with webster but your skill stage time was 34 seconds i don't see anybody except ben gossip beating that yeah so. i think there was one other faster but that's yeah that's, that's smoking fast i don't know how you did that and you said you felt like you're going slow i'm just gonna call uh i'm gonna call it i don't believe that but it, but yeah yeah i, I know you know what's Again, I've shot skill stages a lot faster in practice. You know, at some point, when you do something enough, it becomes very easy. The thing that felt very smooth or fast about it is I had all the time to process, yep, this bag doesn't feel settled, resettle. And and to to me, it felt very fluid. There were a couple of points where I definitely transitioned very quickly, you know, purposefully, but the shots themselves felt completely under control, no issues, watched them all impact, um... I can't explain, you know, that. I just know that it is an advantage to be able to go really fast and not feel like it's fast. Now, it's also a disadvantage, and we'll talk about that maybe in a little bit um, when we get to this next part, which is things you want back. Yeah, but, so there was one. So I, I, when I won the match last year, I dropped one point on the skill stage, and I thought, this is the worst thing <laughs> ever. Yeah. So I was committed to not doing that again this year because um, I just didn't want to have that feeling. But I caught myself on the sixth shot from the third position, you know, the sixth shot overall, so the second shot in the third position. Caught myself almost yanking the trigger. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, just just press through this. And I don't know, I think I probably would have been a second or two faster. Um, but I finished in 44-something seconds, and it was a three-way tie for third place, but I ended up, I ended up making it into third place because I had the fastest time of the three, so... So yeah, it was it was a pretty it was a pretty good match for me too. I mean, there was probably five shots that I I didn't feel right about, um, and we can all say that. But yeah, if you start saying what if, then you can also have shots that don't go your way. <laughs> yeah, taken yeah. off your There's scorecard. Exactly right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know for sure I had a couple that you guys were like, ooh, you couldn't have been much more like on the edge before. Yeah, we and if can't one of those would have slipped, and we wouldn't even be talking about that right now. Yeah, or we, maybe two of them. Well, if I had dropped any on the skill stage, it would have immediately gone to Derek. Yeah, because that would have been a point plus yep. not a clean. Yep. Um. So any other stage, it was two because yep. drop one and you still tie, I win. Um. So yeah, it's um. So you said the black pipes was one of your black pipes was pivotal stages. Pivotal was stage. I got through it clean. Uh, let me get the. Uh, let me think here. I have one. The tires. I, which one do you think? So I mean, for I'm me, it was looking in. I don't know, but I yeah, guess let's for talk me, about you. Yeah, for me, it was uh, the tire stage for sure. So I spent oh, a lot I of time on those you. tires, and I was like, on train up day, I spent a lot of time there because I have never cleaned a tire stage at K and M. Um, 
you know, not AG Cup, not any of the four or five other times I've shot it. And I just don't have great luck on tires. So I was, I was dead set on using a tripod in that tire area. Uh, and then they said, you can't, this is the only stage you can't use a tripod. Like, I was prepared to deploy and do whatever it took. That's what I was going to do on those tires. And um, so they said, well, this is the only stage you can't use a tripod on. So we came up with this plan, I think, you know, mutually, that we were going to put a bag up front and then use a little bag in the rear. And it was it was the center tire that's basically in line or you know, vertically in line away from you. So you're yep. sitting on, you're, you can't you're getting see the on top hole. of this tire. Yeah, you're looking across yeah. all the tread away from you on a big old John Deere rear tractor, tractor tire. Yeah, so it's yeah. the staggered Lugged. staggered treads. So there's a lot of stuff going on there. Just throwing your bipod on there, and there were dudes that are like, yeah, it's just a bipod bag. I'm like, no, it's not that easy in my opinion because of the way that those treads are staggered. And um, there was a um, KYL rack. It was 450 yards and then it, um, after you shot one on that rack, it wasn't even a KYL. It was just uh, four inch. I think they're four inch plates on a five inch rack or a five four fifty rack. They're, they're four inch plates on a four hundred and fifty yeah. yard rack. Yeah. So they're sub minute plates. And then once you shoot the first plate, so with five of them, you shoot the first plate, and then you had to engage the nine hundred and eight yard. There was an IPSC, sixty six percent IPSC. So you just basically toggled back and forth, and each time you went back to that plate rack, you went to the next smaller target. Um, and scores were super low on this. So when I scanned the matchbook, I picked this stage out. Number one was the number one stage. I think that was one one of the hardest stages in the whole match to get a high score on. Yep. Not necessarily the hardest to navigate. It's just the target size and and what you were asked to do was um, statistically this yes. is the one you were going to end up dropping points on. I think so. That was my gut feel. And I thought the other one with the mover was you know second or third toughest. Um, just without seeing it that was just gut feel i was a little bit wrong on that uh, so this stage i got up i built a position with a bag in the front and a bag in the rear and built a nice solid modified prone position and pressed my first shot and i saw it go off left of the small four inch plate and then i went to the 908 hit that and came back and corrected and cleaned the rest of the stage so a nine out of ten on that stage i was like I was ecstatic to get, to get that score on that stage. It is, it I knew is a really good score. Yeah, I knew that was good for me. And then I went over to the long-range stage, and I got an 8. I think we both got an 8 out of 10 on that. Yeah. Yeah, so, and you got an 8 on the tire stage, I think. I got a 7. A 7. I dropped 3, yeah. yeah. So that was, that was still a good score. A little squares. For as much, for as good, as well as you were shooting, the 7 was not going to hold you back. No, but it was right at the field limit. For the shooters yeah. we're going against, the 7 is probably the low average, and an 8 would have been a good average, a 9 to gain points against most of the competitors. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where, you know, we're, we're at the, the level where the shooters and the competitors we're going against, we're judging where we can't lose points and where we can potentially gain points. And it's not like I will gain a point against so-and-so by doing this. It's more the odds are in your favor that if you score a nine, seven other guys of 10 will drop, will shoot an eight. And then you are now you know up one to most of those. And then you go to the next stage and you go, okay, if I get an eight or a nine, I have a good chance to gaining score, another gaining point. another point. Yeah. And it's not necessarily against those seven. It might be different two different seven. guys, but that's the point. Like, yeah. they stack. You so just need to be consistent. You have to be as consistent as possible. Yep. And that's where I know that the two stages that I felt I had my, I struggled the most were argue, were the two things that I didn't test in, in the train-up day. Yep. It was the tire. I never used the middle tire. I should have put a bag on there and worked through the rear and tried the exact setup that I had. And I would have known 
hey, if this thing feels like it's, I felt like I was propping the rifle up ever so slightly. And guys, I'm at like a point not eight six point eight five MOA target. You can't just, ooh, I'll just prop the gun up a little bit. It doesn't work. No. Your group size is point six at that range, i.e., point six inches, point six MOA. Those targets are point eight MOA. You don't have any leeway whatsoever. No. And that's, I'm being generous with a .6 on our rifles from that type of shooting position. So there's no uncertainty that you can have. And, you know, to me, to get a 7, I was just okay. I got four of the five little dot, little squares and dropped two on the Ipsic. And that was, I watched the Mirage change. I just, it didn't look strong enough to make an issue. I sent it and then I watched, and, you know, we talked about Trace a while ago, but um, I did see some of the you know the trace going out as i watch the trace going out i'm like that looks when i see the dirt go off on the right i'm like ah okay and i knew i did and this is where i sort of messed up as soon as i saw the right the bullet hit to the right of the target i should or excuse me to the left of the target on that one i should have assumed that that would also transfer to the near targets but i didn't i said i don't i specifically thought i don't feel that that amount of change will affect me at the closer range leave it there, boom, immediately go off the left side. So it blew off the left at the far one, then blew off the left at the near one, and I'm like, okay, that's on me. Move to the right, uh, you know, a little bit to the right, hit it, so I'm now centered up, hit the shot, came back, hit the shot, went back to the far one, and I saw the mirage going the other way. It looked more like what I had started in, and it blew off the right this time, because I still held center, and I, 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 I knew it internally. I just didn't I didn't react fast enough, and that was on me. So I have some things I want to work on. The other one that I need to work on is the cattle gate. When I use that, I we both talked about it early on. Should we try a tripod? Is it worth the risk, you know, risk-reward ratio when you're evaluating a strategy on a stage? Is it worth the risk of potentially timing out to get seven, eight, nine impacts and time out on a one or two or three, but have good calls and solid impacts versus struggling to get a solid position or not seeing a shot? And, you know, in my case, it didn't play off that well. I got a seven on that stage as well. And it was because the, the rifle was solid, but less solid than I had wanted it to be. So any input errors that I, and I manipulated the rifle with during the trigger press as I'm addressing the rifle immediately transferred to, uh, to the plate. And, <laughs> you know, there are certain times when people come up to you and say something to you and you're just like, Man, a little too soon, right, bro? You, and you, did, the, you. you did that to me once over the I weekend. I did. I felt <laughs> so bad as soon as <laughs> no, I told you. But um, as soon as I get to Shannon, apparently, was, Shannon K was watching me oh, shoot yeah. that stage. And I he didn't did know that it. to me, too, on a different stage. And I, I shoot. We get a little bit. I go down to fill up my water bottle, and he just comes strolling up and is uh, side by side. And he's like, bro the hell are you doing on that <laughs> i watched you group print like a little two inch group at 500 yards on that plate which is only a 10 inch but still you had like a two inch group and then all of a sudden poof, where the hell was that one it was like two feet out and <laughs> i'm like i don't think they were that bad he just shook his head he's like come on man you can do better than that and just pulls off it was well, pretty yeah, funny the same I mean, stage that you got into me yeah. on for missing the diamonds shannon was standing there afterwards and he's like oh yeah that's like, right man <laughs> If anybody, anybody misses one down. of these diamonds, they don't deserve to be here. I'm like, oh, okay. gosh. <laughs> and he just got done shooting an eight. And, oh, it was, yeah. Uh, yeah. I so, missed two on that stage. I'm not <laughs> proud of it, but I'll own it. He, he heckled us a little. It was pretty funny. I mean, 
look, if you can't figure out how to take this sport, you know, seriously, but also have some fun and at your own expense at times, uh, you know, maybe it's not the right sport per se, or at least you need to work on it because it is worth the humility. If you have a bad stage for you, you know, yeah, it's, it's a bummer, but you have to learn how to shake it off, laugh it off a little bit, take the good parts out of it. Like I Turk, I, I have now two training lessons that I've gained from the two stages that I would deem the most, they co- they almost cost me the most. They were risky. They yeah. were very risky. Um, and it was simply just a, of overconfidence. When I went to the tires, I remember thinking, I don't need to do all, go off the center tire. I've shot it a thousand times. I feel really comfortable off that. And lo and behold, I get a seven. I'm like, okay, there's lesson one. Never get overconfident on something you think you have pat. No down. way. Just, always, like, just always take always the most. Always assume you don't. Yeah, always yeah. take the easiest or most stable route. And then always have a backup plan. And the backup plan, yeah. yeah. And So you, you said something. You're like, did you see Trace on that stage or no? On the... On the tire stage? Yes. Okay. On all of them. I didn't see much on that stage. But, man, there was multiple stages I saw Trace, and I wasn't even looking for it this weekend. And we've talked about this on previous podcasts. We're going to talk about it on a future podcast because we've already recorded it. Yep. But, um, yeah, for the, the... Trace saved me this weekend... Um, not save me, but I feel like it got me at least one point on the bowling pin stage. So, uh, so you guys, if you shot KM, like this stage is almost always there. There's a pair of bowling pins, a larger one. I'm not going to call it a large bowling pin. It was larger, and then a smaller one, and it walks out to 520, something like that, 300 to 520. And you shoot the big one. If you miss the big one, you should re-engage. But if you hit the big one, then you shoot the small one, and they're in pairs. And it's tiny. We're not and saying small so tiny. one. We're saying like a zucchini at 500 yards. <laughs> this is so tiny. It's tiny. The small ones are so tiny, and once they're shot up, they're hard to resolve because they're on a dirty background next to a T-post. And, and yep. I don't know how wide they are. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that they were um, smaller than two-tenths, but they felt right around two-tenths, the small um, ones. They felt right around there, so yeah. And they're that's being generous. They're generous in the vertical yeah. dimension, but uh, the horizontal windage they are tiny. And so I was shooting the stage, and there was no really real wind to speak of. I mean, it was it was one tenth left or one yeah. tenth right or hold center. Those are my three options. Like I didn't, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of wind. So when when you're watching Trace in that type of scenario, it basically is going straight away from you, right? You got this like column yeah. of of disturbance in your view so it was unavoidable for me to see and i was watching it hit these little plates and you know by the time i got to the the fourth plate i saw it hit a little bit to the left which was really weird because you hardly ever hold to the right at k&m it's just a rule it's it's that's where the whole left edge came from i think the whole the statement or the yeah the joke and I saw the, the mm-hmm. almost go off the left edge of the smallest one on the fourth plate. And I'm like, well, I'm going to hold, you know, half a tenth right or just just right of center on that last bowling pin. And I hit that bowling pin. I'm like, well, number one, Trace, I feel like helped me on that one. Number two, I felt like that was a great clean for that match because that was a fantastic it clean. It only got harder throughout the day when Mirage kicked up and everything else and so i felt like i felt good about that one that was one of those stages you were talking about where like okay a nine would have been satisfactory eight would have been status quo ten is where you're coming up up on the crowd you know you gain a point or two yeah yeah i don't feel like i had a lot of stages that i was like gaining against the field 
Well, you didn't need to. The field had to gain against you. <laughs> no, no. But, I mean, I'm saying this a different way because I, I think I got, I'm going to say, lucky, skillful enough, whatever you want to call it, some combination of both. The stages that you had to clean, I cleaned. The stages that you could potentially drop one or two, I dropped one or two. Yeah. And the two stages that I really, you know, had my my version of a train wreck on, like dropping three shots on something that should have not dropped that quite that many, right? Dropping one, dropping two might have been okay. Those were the ones that I, I gave up all my errors on stages that it was okay to have an error. That's it. And I, I shouldn't have had some of the errors I had, but um, that's going to come with training. So, you know, that was like, for instance, the animals. It was not a guaranteed clean. No. But it was more likely than not that the top, I'm guessing if I looked at the top 10 shooters, there might be there might be two to four shots dropped amongst all the shooters at those ranges. Mm-hmm. So it's not a high percentage gain. However, you go to, the, say, the long range stage just to the right of it, I'm guessing that half of the shooters dropped one point at one of those targets. Because if you didn't have perfect track of your elevation, your skyline targets all the way out, you really don't know whether you're high or low. You just need to be, you have to trust your dope. You have to trust everything you think you know about your rifle. Try to find one impact and make a better call. I dropped one, and I feel like that's where, you know, I went again, level with the field, dropping one on that stage. But you mm-hmm. go to something like the, what was the last, not the one we cleaned, uh, the second, the squares. I think we had a square from 11 positions, nine positions. I keep calling it 11. There were nine nine pipe positions, concrete drainage pipes. You had to shoot yeah. nine shots, one shot each from nine different positions. That's my jam. And, you know, I love those kind of stages. The target was two MOA. It was a 10-inch square at, was it 450 or 500? I think it was 500. It was on the left-hand side. Either way. Yeah, I can't remember. It, it was a big enough target that, in a sturdy enough prop, you could not afford to give away a shot on that particular stage even though it was a very motion driven stage right you have to average sub 10 seconds per shot in order to clean that stage or else you just time out well and well, not tens, drop any 10 seconds would be exactly 90 seconds yeah that would be yeah, exactly what you needed to do it's a nine round stage yeah that's what i'm saying average sub because okay yeah with your splits and your first time getting over to a position, you're likely a little higher on one. But long story short, mm-hmm. around 10 seconds or less per shot, and you get through the entire stage. I could never have afforded to drop one on that and then, say, trade it off for, you know, dropping one or dropping one less on one of the other stages. You, So I think there's some math that happens when we're going into a matchbook and we're looking at what, what stage you have to do well. And I thought you did that really well this weekend recognizing that the mover stage is really important, recognizing actually all the movers were critically important. Uh, the vast majority of the guys that I had talked to said they dropped shots here or there on the movers, which are cleanable, and, and they're generously cleanable based on the target sizes. They're just, it's a hand-eye coordination issue. And Well, I find a, a lot of anticipation builds for me as I start making my way through a mover stage where you know you're like six hits seven hits eight hits you got to make 12 hits but yeah um yeah and then you get up to 10 and i see a lot of people just cranking away on movers and crushing it and then they'll drop the 11th or the 12th shot just yeah it becomes almost monotonous and um people take it for granted and my rule of thumb with the movers is like they got to be clean and i dropped one out of how many mover shots but it was on the 300 yard yeah, yeah, we, we had, had 12 plus... 27 shots on movers. 22, yeah, 27. So yeah. You, drop, you hit 26. 
Yeah, so I feel okay about that. Um, but I would still like to be clean on movers because usually they're more generous sized targets. It's just a, it's just a physics problem. Yeah. So that was good. Um, things that I want to get, like the again, we talked about the cattle gate. I would change my strategy there, and I'm going to use that I as would a learning, have too. Mo- learning moment. What's that? I said I would have too. I got a nine on oh, that, yeah. and I still I, I feel kind of thankful I got nine on that. I would have. I think I would have deployed a tripod and just ran down four positions on that cattle gate and then skipped the real low one and moved over to the barrel and mm-hmm. done the other one. So it didn't say how many positions you had to use on either of any of the props, but I think I could have done it that way. I yeah, had, I don't I see any time. reason we couldn't have. Um, what else? Let's see here. You sound tired. Oh, I just yawned, so no, I'm not tired. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, overall, I really enjoyed the match. Obviously, it's easier to enjoy a match after you have a really good finish. But that said, I really enjoy shooting KM because of the technical challenges that it provides. Yeah, you know, it, there's, it rewards perfection. I it mean, does. there wasn't a lot of wind to deal with. You did have to deal with, you know, uh, I never left the plate, so to speak, but I, I was questioning whether I should be center or right or left quite a few times. Most of the time it was left. But I feel like it rewards perfection in the fundamentals and. And stage planning and prep and stuff like that. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree, yeah. and I think that's why the you know, the the type of shooting that we're doing there is slightly different than what you'd get out west. It's slightly different than what you'd get in the Appalachians and places with more terrain or more natural wind funnels. But the targets are also you know distinctly smaller. Like yeah, we've had some hard matches at K and M. Don't get me wrong. Like we've shot the HE Cup there. We've shot all the Pro Series matches there. The small targets are at one MOA. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not many one MOA targets at a lot of matches, but you can't. You also really can't afford to put one MOA targets in most of the matches that we would have, you know, out west because a one MOA target with say five mile an hour wind changes, they happen so quickly at times. You'll get deflection of one to two mile an hour mid flight just mm-hmm. during the gust and yeah. that that alone puts you like way off like impo- improbably capable of hitting that target and to me that's that's one of the really cool attributes about this match it tests your ability to stay perfect in both your trigger press your body position your fundamentals your ability to see the target your planning your process your fun- like all of those pre-game components and then executing the plan that you've put together happens on the clock there's there's not a lot of places that you have the ability to test a plan and see the outcome you know work to your favor and go yes that worked yes that worked without it being oh the wind blew me two inches off the right 10 inches off the left 30 inches to the right and you can never catch up to it that's a really difficult way to learn on your learn where your weaknesses are because if i were missing you know left and right left and right left and right i would have to assume it's wind except we both know that it wasn't it's not wind (laughs) It's that happened really to me MPA, a few yeah. times this weekend. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so that's something we're going to dig into in, in other episodes. But yeah. I wanted to also touch on something that we spoke about this afternoon. And I do want to dig into it far deeper on another episode. But we are consistent in these type of environments because of our our understanding of the fundamentals and what matters. But more importantly like what are the ballistic capabilities of our rifles and our solver and all the different ways this stuff needs to be addressed and cleaning methods and weapons maintenance and all these things like stack up to um, 
I think we said it before, like there's a hundred ways it can be wrong and one way it can be right, yeah. you know? And so I think we should probably find a way to break that down and explain that because it's not that we obsess over these details, but we are in tune with every single detail that matters that will affect our groups, our precision, our velocity migration, the uh, zero shift, like anything that could have to do with where if matching our point of aim with our point of impact, we are in, in tune with what those variables are, where they are with our, our rifle, and then how they're trending or tracking at any given time. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. You know, the more we shoot, the example here, if to anybody who's kind of trying to follow along, like, what do we mean by this? If you have a one MOA target at 600 yards, that's a fairly sporty target. You're shooting a position off of a barricade. You blow it off. You hit center, 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 blow it off right. Center, center, blow it off left. Center, center, blow it off right. Something like that. Um, a lot of people would say, oh, the wind switched. We hear that all the time. I mean, we hear it so often, it's almost, it's a little bit falling on deaf ears because I think both of us would agree that more often than not, it's not likely that a wind, like for the types of ranges we're shooting right now and the size of that target, while it is small, let's say one and a half even, one and a half MOA, you would move three tenths to get off the plate in order for that miss to have occurred. It's more likely that you did something wrong during the process of making the shot. Your bag was, say, a couple of feet to the right of the target or, you know, a couple mils, like three mils right of the target. There's the target and you twist it on the bag. You feel like it's settled on the target. You exhale, you press, and immediately the reticle jumps to the right. Just a little, maybe a mil. But mm-hmm. that amount is enough that while the barrel's moving, it's also shifting your point of impact. Um, well, that's part of it, and that's more of the natural point of aim yeah, that I was talking about. I'm just using that as an example to kind of illustrate what I mean. But also what he's also talking about is velocity. You know, Over the course of a match, we don't assume that our velocity is staying exactly the same. We assume it's not until we can verify it with rounds on target. And I'm constantly changing my Kestrel settings by small amounts to make sure that it tracks. In fact, good example of this. So we talked about the paint on those animal targets. Mm-hmm. The last target was 700 and... It's like 719. So that just so happened to correspond to target number two on the next stage. So I had an asterisk next to it. Once I hit the bobcat, I need to... Or 820 or whatever it was. I need to confirm that waterline in order to know what I need to hold on the next stage because they are literally at the same distance yeah. within a yard or two, 20 yards apart. This is going to help me, uh, to the right rather, this is going to help me confirm that I have the right hold for the small square if I don't happen to see it on the IPSC when I shoot the big target. Mm-hmm. So I did that and I wrote it down. I watched my impact. I think I noted to you, hey man, I'm about a half a tenth high. Both shots averaged them out. There was top towards the top of the back and corner center center line so i'm like i bet i'm gonna have to favor a little low sure as hell i had to favor a little low and just watch that through the rest of my stages and i transfer all of those data points continuously to next stages as i start to see where my impacts are falling on target we both do it all the time Mm-hmm. yeah and this match had a couple of stages that were like that and i don't know that shannon did it on purpose but he'll he put a couple stages that allowed you to confirm your data before you got to a really difficult stage mm-hmm. and that tire one if you were if you were stable on that tire and level and you were able to hit one of those small targets that was right before the long range stage so yep. 
you know your elevation is spot on in your Kestrel if you can hit that sub MOA plate and you're going to go to shoot I don't know if those other ones were like one and a half or something like that for the the long range stage so there's a lot of places and matches where you can do that Um, you just got to be mindful of if you have to hold over or under to get onto the center of the plate then you should be taking that under advisement and confirming it on another stage or um, if you know it's a fact then adjust the zero height offset in your Kestrel and or you know, question your velocity if it's, you know, might be speeding up over the weekend. But there's just a lot of little things that we do and we um, focus on to show up to a match and make sure that we know that when we point our rifle at a target, we expect that it goes in that spot. If it doesn't, we're not going to freak out um, because it could be the position, it could be the prop, it could be anything. Um, There's just, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes, I think, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah to have that confidence in your in your rifle yeah everything well kind of thirsty it, you are yeah well I'm hungry I want a steak I think we're gonna go to Longhorn uh, we had a dilemma it was either Texas Roadhouse Longhorn or like a Ruth Chris or Morton's but those last two we're wearing like swim trunks and I'm t-shirts yeah. so what well, you basically shirts. are they're camo so there might as, <laughs> they might as well be swim trunks um i said i'd have to take a shower and get a haircut before i go into any one of <laughs> those did. steakhouses you listed at the end so it's longhorn or texas i can Road grab House. the scissors no no thanks um yeah so we're gonna grab food i don't know exactly where we're gonna i think we're gonna go to longhorn because we just looked that up we haven't been there in a long time yeah. texas roadhouse has been meh good so if Not you guys great. if you guys were at the match and said hi, thanks a bunch. I mean, there were a couple of ROs that reached out and were they were definitely saying they were thank, thanking us for the podcast. I think they were stage yep. six, Duncan and Martin. So shout out to those guys. Stage five, the pipes. They were like, oh, oh that was stage yeah, six. Stage five. five. It was five. Stage five. Yeah, because yep. Duncan and Martin. They were specifically, you know, like, hey, why did you use the tripod on the first position and then not the rest? Yeah, that was Duncan. And it was because those pipes were so slippery that. I was just nervous, man. Yeah, the the first head is half the size of all the... Actually, no, no. First series of heads is small. The seconds are a little bigger, third's even bigger behind each car. Yeah. But the first head on the first car is half. Because it was below the line of the trunk. Yeah, you have to dome this thing. Yeah. And if you are even a little low, whop, you smack a car. Yeah, and there was somebody else I got to give a shout out to. um, A guy that shot with in Chicago before. Um, I met with him at Aurora Sportsman Club, Jeff Wankel. He came up to me this morning. I think it was this morning or last night. Last night. And he walked up and he's like, dude, I heard you guys are um, into the Waffle House, which if you guys know us, um, Francis is definitely into the waffles at the Waffle House. Um, He can clean a waffle in uh, 30 seconds. That's the part time for him to clean a waffle stage. Mm-hmm. So he walked up and handed us the gift card to the Waffle House, and it just Ew. made me smile. He's like, "Thanks for the podcast. You guys are putting out some good stuff, and I listened to it. So thanks a lot for that. We, we really, really appreciate, appreciate that. It. Yeah. yeah, tomorrow it means morning a lot we're gonna to me probably yeah. more to me than to Chad. Just, just I can so get know, a rack so. of bacon. I don't care. I'll, I'll trust me. I will. <laughs> all the bacon. I will get my fill on the bacon. I think you misunderstood us. I we said all, all the, the bacon. bacon. <laughs> um, the other one I wanted to give props to, uh, a dude came up, uh, Rob Tucker. Um, he shot awesome. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he just killed it. Um, Rob came up to us at the match and mentioned specifically that he was uh, listening to the podcast and felt, uh, he said specifically that he has been going to sleep with Chad and I every <laughs> night 
for the last week and a half, two I'm weeks, sorry. or something along those lines. Uh, and he had his, the best match that he's ever shot. He actually won top marksman. He got 174 impacts, or 96% of the winner score, and man, took 15th awesome. overall. And, uh, man, I'm pumped for him. He was so stoked, not only before the match, but also after the match. And we had a dozen dudes who came yeah. up and just mentioned, that, hey, this was so cool, like, I learned this or I learned that. And we're really happy to hear that, you know, anybody who is listening to this is having a good time listening to them, and they're picking up little tidbits here and there that are helping you put rounds on target. We can only hope that you'll, you know, help us out, share it to more people who want to put more rounds on target. And uh, Yeah, we're trying to grow the sport and help everybody yeah. elevate. You know, there was a point this weekend where I, I just... I can't remember. I don't know if anybody in our squad will remember, but I looked around when we were shooting that bowling pin stage, and I hadn't even shot yet. I just looked downrange, and I saw all these people hammering targets. I'm like, guys, look at this. This is amazing what we're doing with these rifles right now. Uh, if you came to K&M, the stage was here three years ago, and the, the average score would probably be like a four, and a high score would be an eight on that stage. And I think three people in our squad cleaned it. I mean, yeah, we the, the growth of the sport and the, the competitiveness of the shooters... Has, is on another level. It is just so exciting to see. So, I mean, it, I'm just I'm looking at the scores right now. So there are 20 people within 10 points of me. Yeah, that's and insane. they're all separated by about a point. Mm-hmm. It's it's wild. And then you go down from that, and it's even more so. Like 20 points goes to 46. Yeah, it's it's really neat to see a lot of shooters, both pro, not unclassified shooters, new shooters, semi pros, like guys who are just getting into the sport, hammering down, having fun. And staying positive. You know, that is what this game is about. Staying positive, learning, finding new things to do, and challenging yourself. Yeah, so I want to give one more shout-out before we cut this one off. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to Francis Cologne for letting us get some points in this <laughs> match, brother. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, only was, I only lost oh, to you by two boy. points, so that means I get, like, 99 of them things. So oh, that's nice. Thank you. Must feel good. I remember. <laughs> I know what the opposite feeling feels like from you, thanks to MKM's match. Yeah, but you'll get us. I'm sure you'll get us soon, man. You, you're the best shooter I know. So. No, nah, you're the best shooter I know. <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk to you guys later. See ya. See ya.